0: Well, uh, it's good to be with you today. Uh, This is my first time being back since uh, September 19th. And so uh, as many of you may already know, um, on September 19th, the executive board of the Baptist General Convention of Texas voted to extend to me an invitation to be uh, their executive director, and uh, after much, Prayer and consideration over the last several months, we are convinced that uh, we are supposed to take this call, and so we have accepted uh, the job, um, knowing and being convinced that it is God's will for our lives and the next season of our lives. And so uh, we are uh, excited about that. It's a step of faith for us, um, but at the same time, it's a little sad for us because it means that we are leaving calvary and so today i uh, i'm announcing my resignation as your lead pastor and um, i will be with you in that role till the 29th of october for the rest of this month we'll be seeing each other and we'll have opportunities to to express how, how we feel about each other you have been our family for the last 13 years. You've been our church family, and we love you, uh, and we're going to miss you. And there's so much more than, than I can say, but but I, I want you to know uh, that this is a good church. Uh, God has been in charge of this church for 66 years, and he will continue to be in charge of it in the years to come. You have good leaders among you. There's a good pastoral team, and. And I believe the future of Calvary is bright. You look around, you look at the people that are here. You look at the people that are joining our church that are being baptized. And and Calvary is going to continue to do great things to represent Christ in McAllen and around the world. I want you to know that many people around the state of Texas know about you and your faithfulness. And I trust that you continue to be faithful. So thank you for letting us be a part of what God is doing here for the last thirteen years. One of the things that I'm going to miss uh, about the valley there's just a lot of things from from Q tacos to uh, uh, Delia's tamales and a number of other things. But one of the things that, that uh, I'm going to miss is part of like part of the culture and you know it's just very unique. Uh, one of the things that m- my wife and I kind of uh, sometimes I've shared with her uh, that I've I've been at the connecting point. Sundays after the service, and new guests come and greet me, sometimes people shake my hand and say, Father Julio, that was a really good mass. And, and I'm like, I don't want to correct them, because I know it comes from a good place, you know. Uh, I, have, I have a friend that's invited me to, uh, to go uh, hunting with him, and, and he, he's got a friend, and, uh, and he says, why don't you wear a clergy collar? Um, and I said, well, because I don't have to. He said, well, I, I, you know, I don't know what to call you. And so he decided he's just going to call me Padre. So every time he sees, he sees me, he says Padre. And I think it's kind of funny. And that brings us uh, to, to the question of why do we refer to our leaders in our church as pastors and not as priests or, or fathers? Do Baptist churches have priests? Why or why not? The answer to that question is yes and no. We do have priests in Baptist churches, but it's not what you might think. I, I wanna invite you to go with me to our primary text. We're gonna look at several scriptures today, but the primary text is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine, and, and we'll uh, develop this idea from here. And it reads like this, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who you are, Calvary. That's who you are, church. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. What an incredible declaration What an incredible identity that we have as the people of God. And each of those descriptions is filled with meaning. But I want us to talk about this royal priesthood idea. We continue in our series that we've called We Believe. We're examining basic Christian doctrines and specifically those that are very dear to us as Baptists. In fact, if you want to read more about this, we have some booklets about this series that are in the foyer. Uh, And maybe some of them are over here in this hallway. So after the service, grab one of those books. They're complimentary if you want to read more about it and learn more about it. But here the the scripture tells us that we are a royal priesthood. In In other words, each of us here are priests. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, if Jesus is your Savior and Lord, you are a priest or a priestess. We call this the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. It is a doctrine that came from the Reformation, but a doctrine that Baptists have taken even further to all its implications. So I'm going to talk to you about that today. The priesthood of all believers means, first of all, that anybody can have access to God. Anybody can have access to God. You, know, my, my fa- you may know that my family and I, we are house divided, uh, some of us are Baylor fans some of us are Texas fans and uh, so uh, we've had this tradition of going every year to the Baylor Texas game and uh, usually Stephen and uh, my wife will wear burnt orange and Rachel and Brooke and I will wear it green uh, and uh, and then we'll just cheer for different teams and and we've had a good time but this year Uh, Dr. Livingstone, the president of Baylor University, uh, extended an invitation to us and said, would you like to come to one of the Baylor games and watch it from the president's suite? And I had to think about that for like five seconds. And and so we accepted the invitation and we went up there and we got this special barcode that we could park really close, like VIP parking. And then we had this exclusive uh, entrance for the president's suite that that we went to and, and people asked us, you know, where are you going? And we told them and we showed them the barcode and they scanned us in. They, they, they put some uh, wristbands on us and then somebody personally escorted us up the elevator all the way to the suite. And when we got up there, people received us and they had name tags for us. And, and, and we went into this place. It was such a cool view and, and there was food and drinks and, and we had a good time. I know Baylor laws. You don't have to remind me about that. But we had a good time. Here's the thing. It was kind of neat to be at a place that we don't always have access to. To be at a place that is so exclusive that only certain people can do. That, that's kind of cool for a little while. Um, but but when we think about this idea of priesthood, priesthood is about access. See, God established the, the priesthood in the Old Testament. He wanted Israel to know that that he is holy, and that people can have access to him, but there has to be the right provision for a sinful people to have access to a holy God. Priests in the Old Testament were appointed by God, descendants of Aaron, and there were very specific instructions about how they should dress from their undergarments to their outer garments. Every aspect of their dress had symbolism and has significance. And they had very specific instructions about purification rites and sacrifices. There were sacrifices that they were supposed to offer in a very specific way with very specific utensils in the temple. Some of them on special fees. They, they added new things, specific things for those feasts. And then there was this very special day that came once a year called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. That, that's what was celebrated by Jews here just this past uh, Monday. And, and the temple also was filled with symbolism. The temple spoke about this idea of holiness and, and access to God through the right way. And the access to the various part of the temple was limited to certain groups of people. When you enter the temple gates, the first and most outer court was the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles who wanted to worship uh, the Jewish God, the, the God of Israel, could could prepare themselves in a, in a particular way. And they could go, you see in this image the, the big uh, courts on the side. That, that's where the Gentiles could enter, but no further. And then you see a, a court, you see a golden door, and you see a court where, where the semicircle steps are. That's the court of women. Jewish women could go there and worship from there, but they could go no further than that. And then next was the court of the Jewish men and, and, and men could go there, but, but, uh, they couldn't go further than that where, where the altar was, that was the court of the priest and only priests and Levites could minister there and, and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And they could enter the holy place in the tabernacle. The priest could. But beyond the holy place, there was a curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies, where the mercy seat of God was. The, the, The presence of God in all of its fullness dwelled there. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and that only once a year on the day of atonement when he was sprinkled with the blood of a sacrificed bull. So there were these walls that were separating different people from having access to the presence of God, this elaborate system of sacrifices and temple divisions and priestly functions was a constant reminder to the people of Israel that God is holy. It was a constant reminder that his people are sinful and they need forgiveness. They need a provision to be able to draw close to a God. It was a constant reminder that God wants his people to draw close to him and that he has made provision for it to happen. So you see, not everyone had direct access to God's presence in the Old Testament. But one day all of that changed. One day, that holy God became human in the person of Christ. And he lived a sinless life, the life that his people could not live, the life that you and I could not have lived. And then he went to the cross. And at the cross, he carried this holy God, this sinless man, carried on himself your sins and my sins and the sins of all his people. He was the perfect sacrifice and the perfect provision for a holy God. And something extraordinary happened the day that Jesus died. Matthew tells us about it in chapter 27, verse 50. He said, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he was hanging on the cross, he cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He died. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That was not a coincidence. It was not an accident. When Jesus died on the cross, the division to the presence of God was removed. He is the perfect high priest that all of the priests in the Old Testament were pointing to. He is a perfect sacrifice that all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing to. He is the perfect provision. He entered the holy of holies and he tore the curtain apart so that we could enter into the presence of a holy God. And not only did he tear the curtain, dividing the holy of holies, but he also removed all the dividing walls. Look at the way Ephesians tells us about it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, for he himself, talking about Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit, amen? Amen. Because of Jesus, all of the walls, dividing groups of the temple are torn down. Because of Jesus, we are no longer separated as Jews and Gentiles, as men and women, or as priests and people. Because of Jesus, we are one, new humanity, above ethnicity and gender and ordination, we get to be in the presence of God. We have access to a holy God. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, if he's your Savior and your Lord, you now have got access to God's presence in the same way that the high priest of the Old Testament did. The priesthood of all believers means that you can have access to a holy God. The priesthood of all believers also means that everybody is a minister under Christ. The reason that the New Testament church does not have priests who wear special clothes or stand before altars or offer sacrifices is that because Christ, with Christ as our high priest now, we are all priests. We are all ministers. We uh, saw pictures this last week uh, on social media of people's daughters or sons, National uh, Daughters Day, National Sons Day, and everybody gets to post pictures. And I think what what a neat thing that is, that everybody can have access to social media because I'm old enough to remember the days there was no internet. And if you wanted to publish something, maybe you had to buy an ad in the newspaper or in the yearbook or, or something like that. But it's pretty neat when, when you have access. Now, some people use it for good and some people use it for, for bad. But, but it's good to have access. It's good for everyone to have the ability to do something. Well, in the Old Testament, there was this division between the priesthood and the people, between men and women, between Jews and Gentiles. It was a, a hierarchical system. People were at the lowest level, and and there were levels that you had to go through in order to be able to have access to God. But in the New Testament, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the division between priesthood and people has been removed. Every believer is a priest. Every believer is a minister. Christ removed the hierarchy. We don't have a hierarchy. We have one new humanity, one level. We are children of God. We've sang about that today, and we have one Lord, one God. I love the way Galatians 3:26 talks about this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What better priestly garments than Christ himself? There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So while the the Old Testament makes a big distinction between priest and people, the New Testament does not. The church of the New Testament doesn't have that large distinction. The distinction in the New Testament church is is not about who is a priest and who is not, but it's about what kind of spiritual gift you have. That every believer has been given a spiritual gift. Every believer has been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you a gift. And that gift, when you use it, you're ministering. You you become a minister of God's grace through your spiritual gift. The difference, the primary difference between a pastor and other believers, the primary difference is one of gifting. The pastor uh, has been gifted by the Holy Spirit to, to teach and and to lead, and to shepherd. Uh, There are other things that come with that, I understand, but but, but that is the primary difference. It's not this huge gap that sometimes we think exists. A pastor may may have a calling and a gifting for being a spiritual leader, but it does not mean that the pastor has more access to God than the rest of the people. It doesn't mean that, that the pastor can have more of the Holy Spirit than the rest of the people. You know, I, I, we always kind of chuckle when we go to gatherings and there are a lot of people there and we're about to eat and somebody says, who's going to pray? And some people say, well, the pastor's here. He's got a direct line to God. And I'm like, yes, I do, but so do you. If you're a believer, you, you have the same access I do. Now, I don't mind praying for the food because I'll make sure the prayer is short so we can get to eating. <laughs> I already have my devotional this morning. I don't need to have it in front of you. Every believer can enter into God's presence directly through Christ. Every believer can possess the indwelling Holy Spirit or possesses the indwelling Holy Spirit. Every believer can go to the scriptures and hear God speak to you. Now, we need to study the scriptures and and, and we need to uh, learn together as a church uh, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But when you're alone at home and you open the scriptures, God can speak to you. God loves you. God wants you to come to him. He wants you to have access to him so that he can speak his love over you. That's the way that God established his church in the New Testament. The church in the, in the first century did not have this marked distinction between clergy and laity. In fact, they didn't have church buildings. They met in homes and people had a word of encouragement or a word of teaching or a word of prophecy, which we call now Preaching. And, uh, and they participated together as their spiritual gifts led them to worship and to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They understood that the Great Commission was given to every disciple, not just to pastors and missionaries. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on to gather believers in that upper room, Peter declared that what was happening was the ushering in of a new era that had been announced by the prophet Joel. Look at what Acts chapter 2 says about that. When people thought uh, maybe these uh, apostles were drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, verse 16 of Acts 2, l- look at what Peter says is happening. He says, No. In other words, we're not drunk. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Wow, what an incredible thing. In the Old Testament, only priests could minister at the altar. In the Old Testament, only prophets can speak the word of God. When they have a special anointing for a moment, they could declare the word of God. But in the New Testament, in the church, where the day of Pentecost brought the Holy Spirit to us, every believer can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Men and women, young and old, we get to be ministers of this gospel that has been entrusted to us. What a great privilege. One of the sad things that happened to the church around the fourth century was that when the Roman Emperor Constantine accepted Christianity and made it official, the state sanctioned religion. And when the when when the state sanctions religion, even when it's Christianity, it's a bad thing. It's bad for the state and it's bad for the church. When the Roman Empire sanctioned the church and make Christianity official, the church began to move away from the New Testament. Corruption started to, to come into the church. And one of the things that happened in that corruption was they reinstituted the Old Testament priesthood system, the reestablishment of a clergy that was hierarchical, making a huge separation between clergy and people, who, which, which was not meant to be, which was undoing the work of Christ at the cross and over the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And I'm afraid, as I listen, as I look around, I'm afraid that today in some Protestant circles and some evangelical circles, there is a tendency to want government sanction of Christianity, to fall back into the same mistakes that we've made in history, And then to have a big distinction between clergy and laity, between uh, those who are called for vocational ministry and every other believer. And we should not give in to that. That's not who we are as a New Testament church. That's not who we are as Baptists. And I will tell you this. I'll take a parenthesis here to say this. Whatever discussion that we may have about women pastors, and I'm not gonna go into that topic right now, but let me just say this, whatever discussion we may have about women pastors has to be against the backdrop of the priesthood of all believers. You may land in different places. I'm not gonna preach about that. That's a big topic, but we cannot enter into that topic without first acknowledging the priesthood of all believers, including men and women. That's what 1 Peter 2, 9 says, that you All of you are a chosen people. All of you are a royal priesthood. All of you are God's special possession. If you're a Christ follower, then you're a minister. Are you using your spiritual gifts to minister to the church? Are you declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Then third, priesthood of all believers means that nobody should lord it over the conscience. The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers is closely tied with something we call soul autonomy. Soul autonomy essentially means that God has not relegated his lordship of the conscience to any human being. God is Lord of our conscience and he has not delegated that to any king or governor or Pope or priest or pastor or denomination. When the judgment day comes and you stand before God, the governor won't be there. The pope won't be there. The pastor won't be there. The only one that you'll stand before is Christ. He's your judge and he's your advocate. He's your savior and he's your friend. And he's the one that your conscience is accountable to. He's the one that your soul is accountable to. The doctrine of the priest of all believers is in line with this. That if Christ is our high priest, then no one else should be Lord of our conscience. No king, no governor, no other human being. Civic government has a responsibility to establish just laws to benefit all those who are governed, and we as Christians have the responsibility to obey those laws, to to be lawful, law-abiding citizens, unless it conflicts with the law of God. And pastors, they're supposed to teach us, exhort us, Persuade us, even rebuke us, but they are not Lord over our conscience. They minister to our soul, but they don't Lord our soul. When Paul writes to Timothy, he gives him instructions about how the church is supposed to relate to the world and civil government and, uh, and et cetera. It says 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 1, he says this to him. I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness this is good and pleases god our savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth for there is one god and one mediator between god and mankind the man christ jesus paul says the church should pray for all people We should be concerned about those who are not in already, who are not the people of God already. We should pray their salvation because God wants all people to be saved. And we should pray for kings and those in authority that we may lead peaceful lives, that they may come to know Jesus as well. But we have only one God and one mediator, Christ Jesus. We should pray and we should acknowledge that. You know, One of the things that has recently happened, uh, among many things, is uh, Governor Greg Abbott, uh, governor of Texas, has recently met with some pastors because he's campaigning about um, school choice or school vouchers, however you want to call it. But one of the things that really got our attention is that in meeting with some pastors, he's asked pastors in Texas to preach or to talk to the congregation about school choice on October 15th. Now, I don't know where you land on the idea of school choice and, or vouchers. Uh, I can tell you where Baptists land. I can tell you where I land, but I'm not going to go into that right now. I'm just going to tell you that the thing that concerns me the most is that a governor would tell pastors what to preach from the pulpit. I, 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 I just I'm just a little uncomfortable with that. Regardless of where you are on the issue of school choice, the concerning thing to me is that People who are elected as governors do not have the lordship over the church. Neither Greg Abbott nor Joe Biden nor anybody else is going to tell me what to preach to this church. That's between God and me. And you as the church to whom I'm accountable. And we need to be remembering that. That the priesthood of all believers means that we have one mediator only. And his name is Jesus. No one else should lord it over our conscience. I'm so thankful for uh, Robert Reddy and his leadership of the BSM at UTRGV and, and uh, the great number of leaders that are being developed there. Uh, recently, he posted a picture on his Facebook page of, of uh, baptisms that were being carried out. You might recognize some of the people in the picture, as people that come to Calvary. Not all of them come to Calvary. But I can tell you pretty much that, that as you look at these students and maybe uh, staffers, that most of them, maybe with the exception of Robert, most of them are not pastors, are not ordained. They're simply disciples of Christ. But you you know what they understand? They understand the Great Commission is for them. They share Christ. They serve students. They serve their campus. They baptize believers. They disciple them. They encourage them. And and how great is that? They understand the priesthood of all believers. They understand that they are ministers and they get to be a part of the Great Commission with all of the privileges and responsibilities. And what a great blessing that is because many people have come to Christ through their ministry. And I wanna tell you, if you've not trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then today you can make that decision Today you can receive the forgiveness for your sins. If you feel far away from God, he wants to remove that gap. He wants you to have direct access to him. And he's already made the provision through the death of Jesus on the cross. And today you simply have to come to him in faith and say, I want Jesus to be my savior and my Lord. In fact, when you do that, not only do you become a child of God, but you become a priest. You become part of a holy nation, of God's chosen people, of a royal priesthood, God's special possession, and we wanna welcome you. So maybe that's the commitment you need to make today. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, you as a believer need to make a commitment to live out your faith, to live out your priesthood, to exercise your privilege and responsibility as a priest and as a minister. Would you bow your head for just a moment And think about how it is that God is calling you to respond to his word today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Christ and what he did on the cross. I thank you, Father, for our salvation and how we can now have access to you because of Jesus. I pray that if there's any commitment that needs to be made here today that, that Father, you would speak to the hearts that your spirit will convict, convince, convert as he feels led. In Jesus' name, amen.